0: Take your Bibles and go with me to 1 Samuel, chapter number 30. 1 Samuel, chapter number 30. I was told uh, what time we were supposed to be done. I I guess there may be times when what time you're supposed to be done and what time you're actually done could be two different things. But uh, I desire to give us all ample time to get to the next uh, phase of the services this morning. And uh, so again, thank you so much for being here and for your patience. If you're expecting Pastor Rands, I'm sorry, um, <clears throat> but he is going to be back in a couple weeks. I want to invite you to come back, of course, if you're a guest and enjoy his preaching. I've always loved hearing from him. But First Samuel chapter 30 this morning, let's read the first few verses and then we'll go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Verse number one says this, it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city and behold, it was burned with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and for his daughters, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the privilege of being in this place, Lord, with these your people and God, we just want you to be high and lifted up. Lord, we want all men to be drawn to you. We want everyone to understand and know who Jesus Christ is. But Father, I thank you for allowing us to worship together. Thank you for giving us the freedom to come together and not worry about the persecution, Lord, from the world, but be able to come together to worship. And thank you so much for the sweet spirit with your people already this morning. I pray now that you'll be with us in this these few minutes. Help us as we look into your word. Lord, thank you for the life of David. Thank you for an example of, of not only what we should be like at times, but also your wonderful grace that's bestowed. And So Lord, I pray to help us now in this hour to to glorify you and to worship you in all that's said and done in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been greatly distressed? I oftentimes talk about having certain bad days. You know, sometimes you ever have a week of of like five days in a row or all Mondays. You ever have that? Every day you wake up and say, oh, Mondays are rough. You know, sometimes we talk about having bad days and we talk about the distresses of life. But I got to be honest with you, as I read this story, I don't think I've personally ever had a day where people were going to gather themselves to stone me. That wasn't something, maybe they were and they just didn't tell me, I don't know. But you talk about a bad day. Here David, if you look over the last several chapters of 1 Samuel, David has been going through much in his life over the last couple of years. You know the story you're very familiar with in 1 Samuel 17, David, of course, goes to deliver supplies to his brothers, goes to the battle there, and, and the armies of the Philistines are on one side, and the Israelite army is on the other side, and there's a giant in the middle named Goliath that is cursing God and challenging the armies of Israel. Nobody's doing anything, so the, the short story is David just runs down there in the name and the power of the Lord and kills the giant. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, David is identified as a young man that can can play the instrument well. The young lady playing the harp over here, beautiful music. And a great job there reminded me of of David and his ability to play the harp. And he's called into the king's throne room to play for the king to calm his spirit. David had done nothing wrong. David was obedient to his dad and taking supplies. David was really the one that captured the victory for the nation of Israel David was simply just trying to behave himself. As it says in 1 Samuel 18, four different times, he was behaving himself wisely. Yet through it all, King Saul got jealous. It says that as the lady sang about the victories, that Saul had slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And so from that point forward, the Bible says that Saul eyed David. The word eyed there means to to look at him as an enemy, filled with hatred towards David. David, as a young man, doesn't know what's going on. He begins to run over the next couple of chapters. uh, He tells his best friend, Jonathan, Saul's son, says, listen, I think your dad's trying to kill me. And Jonathan says, man, you're crazy. No way would my dad try to do that. And then one day at a dinner, David wasn't there, but uh, Saul uh, said to his uh, son and to all his soldiers, go find David and kill him for me. And then Jonathan says, "Okay, maybe he's trying to kill you. He helps David get to, in verse uh, chapter 19, get to a secret place and, and says, Hey, hide in this secret place, and when the time comes, I'll give you the message about what we should do next. And I find it interesting that in Psalm chapter 91, verse 1, it starts out with this verse, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I think David, as he writes that psalm, was able to do so because when a, in a time in his life when he was scared and on the run, he found a secret place, and I think there met with God but he begins to run. He finds himself discouraged. Chapter 22, he's in a cave having a little bit of a pity party. He's on the run for his life. He's scared he's had to leave family. And in chapter 22, 400 men come to the cave and it says they were in debt, they were discontented, and they were distressed. You see, there's distressed people all around us in our world, isn't there? Our world is hopeless. Just read the news story yesterday of, of the gentleman in Seattle that took that plane and and killed himself by taking the place. There's a hopelessness in the world around us. And yet sometimes Satan doesn't try to go after those. He goes after us to try to discourage us even more. David continues to run. And, and in chapter 23, he finds himself asking God, God, what should I do? What direction should I go? And then a few verses later, he says, God, what's going to happen to me? Are they going to come after me and deliver me into the hands of King Saul? And God says, Yes. That's going to take place. And David then begins even more an intense journey on trying to escape. We come to chapter number 27. David starts out that chapter after after having just had an opportunity to kill King Saul and cuts off his robe, parts of his robe. He gets to chapter 27 and and says, woe is me, basically. Uh, Saul is going to kill me. There's nothing better for me to do than to... Go into the land of the Philistines and to dwell with them. Understand this, the the Philistines are the very enemy of Israel. The highest enemy that they could deal with is the, the Philistine people. Goliath was a Philistine. They're always in a thorn in Israel's side. And here he is in chapter 27 saying, I just need to go find my comfort in the land of the Philistines. Sometimes in our days of distress, don't we think a little bit off at times? Our logic, our, 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 plan, our, our, our line of thinking becomes so contrary to what is actually right and what we know to do. Yet David, being in great distress, finds himself going to the land of the Philistines. He serves there with them for a year and a half. Chapter 29, we find that King Achish of the Philistines loves David. In fact, it says at uh, chapter 29, verse 3, at the end, he says, I have found no fault in him since, the, uh, since he fell unto me in this day. For the time that David was with the Philistines and King Achish, there was a great respect and honor given to David because he lived right, he did right, he was known for being a man of integrity and character. Yet we come to chapter 30, David is coming back at the end of chapter 29, the Philistine soldiers go to to King Achish and say, listen, we're going to go fight the Israelites, it might be best that David not be with us. And Achish is like, what's the problem? David's been a faithful man. He's been a faithful warrior and a great servant. And they said, yeah, but he's an Israelite. It'd be a shame if in the middle of the battle, he starts attacking us from our side. And so King Achish, um, unwillingly, but having to do so for the sake of his men, goes to David and says, David, it'd be best if you just leave us. David and his mighty men return in chapter 30 to Ziklag. And upon coming to Ziklag, there's uh, a great fire there. Smoke is rising and they get to the city and and verse 2 says that the women and the children are taken, which is an interesting thing because at this time the soldiers and the enemies in that area, they would always annihilate the armies that they come across. So it's interesting here that God allowed them to spare uh, the women and the children. David and his men are discouraged. Their homes are destroyed. Their their families are gone. David and the people, they just wept. Verse 6 starts out, David was greatly Distressed. It wasn't just a distress that comes from a bad day. It wasn't just something that that comes from not knowing for sure what's going on. It was a great distress. It was to the point that all the last several months have probably piled up to a point in his life where he just doesn't know what else to do. He's at his wit's end. He's cried, and perhaps he's cried until he can cry no more. says wept. It wasn't just a a crying of tears. It was an anguish of soul. It was a breaking of heart. It was intense. It was probably the lowest David has ever been. Again, it started out a couple years ago. He was just a young child in his father's house, and he was watching sheep, and he, he just went to battle and had a great victory. Yet we come to this point where David is greatly distressed. I tell you this, there are times in our lives when things are going to take place and circumstances are going to come, and we are not going to understand why, and it will cause great distress. Can I tell you this, that the circumstances that come your way that are hard and the the feelings, the burdens that come, please understand this, it doesn't always mean that it's our fault. Sometimes God simply wants to remind us that he's still on the throne. Here in chapter 30, in verse number six, it says, David was greatly distressed, but it ends the verse by saying this, David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. Can I tell you a few statements this morning about this passage that I hope will be an encouragement to you? I want to share these very quickly with you and remind us of exactly God's work in David's life. Number one, can I tell you this this morning? Past disobedience leads to future burden. Sometimes past disobedience leads to a future burden. Look with me back in chapter 30, verse 1 again. It says this, It came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire. You think, what's the big deal with that verse? Well, there's a group of people mentioned in that verse, verse number 1, the Amalekites. They were the ones that came and they invaded and they took the city that David had there at Ziklag and destroyed it and took captive David and his men and their, fam- their, their families of those men and, and obviously caused this great distress. But can I tell this to you this morning? The Amalekites should not have been there. If you study back over the life of David in 1 Samuel chapter 15, he's not quite on the scene, but Saul is, is king and Saul was given a very clear command in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Samuel comes to him and says, the word of the Lord, I speak to you, and God wants you to go to the Amalekites, and the words there that are used are, utterly destroy. The words utterly destroy means to absolutely annihilate and to to get rid of, no longer have any remnant of them left. If you're familiar with the story at all, you know that Saul went and fought and destroyed many, but he left the best of the sheep and the oxen and the livestock and the and the items that they had, and he spared King Agag of the Amalekites. Of course, we know Samuel comes back and and says to Saul, what were you you thinking? Why did you do this? God gave you a very clear command, and you didn't follow that. Saul said, well, I was just trying to offer the Lord the best, and and Samuel says this, listen, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. You see, Saul's disobedience from the past allowed David to have a burden here in the present and the future. You see, David had to go and deal with the Amalekites when he should have never had to do so. And you think, well, why was that David's fault? David's greatly distressed because of something that Saul did. Yes, you got to understand this. Our decisions affect so many people. We don't get to say, well, I'll make this decision and I'll do this thing and everything will be okay. No, the reality is Saul, who's who's uh, quickly, after in this next chapter, chapter 31, is going to be killed in battle and his life is going to be done and his reign's going to be over. Yet because of his disobedience, Several years previously, David is now greatly distressed. Our past disobedience does lead to future burden. There are people coming behind us that are going to have to deal with the choices we make. I, I have, my wife and I, we have three wonderful children and, and so thankful for them. They're not here uh, with us this weekend. And it's, it's odd because every time we get up to go do something, we keep looking for the diaper bag. And it's not there because the kids aren't. And and uh, it'll take us about two days to get used to that, which has been when we go back. So, uh, but we're going to enjoy this time as best we can. But we have three wonderful children, and when I was single and and making decisions for myself, it didn't affect three little children, did it? All of a sudden now, I realize as a parent, as a husband, I have choices that I must make, and it affects a lot of people. Uh, my my son uh, utters things that I utter. And of course, I'm always uttering spiritual great things and, and, uh, in the house, and nothing's ever wrong there. I remember one time I was looking for a parking spot in the summers we live in El Paso, Texas, running missions trips with our ministry down there, and I was looking for a parking spot. And it seems that when I go to the store, everybody goes to the store. You ever notice that? My mom can go and pray and say, Lord Jesus, just give me the parking spot. I'm like, why are you praying for that? And there's a parking spot right there. It's amazing to me. I don't understand it. For me, I've got to park three zip codes away and catch a bus and go to the store. I was looking for a parking spot, and and I kept driving around, and I was like, ah, come on, man. And a few seconds later, I heard my four-year-old at the time, my son, say, come on, man. And I began to very quickly realize that there are those behind me that I am to be leading, and what I say and what I live will be most likely what they do. In fact, what what they do oftentimes will be an excess of what I've done. That's a humbling thought when you think about the fact that, you know what, something so simple as saying, come on, man, yet when I go through adversity or distresses or trials, do, do my children see my wife and I leading through those, or getting frustrated. Even more serious, are my past decisions and my past disobedience going to cause future burden for my children? Are the decisions I've made in the past going to affect the ministries that I'll be involved in? You see, we live in a very selfish society. Society tells us that just get everything you can It's all for yourself. Live to your flesh. Enjoy every moment that you can. And listen, we ought to enjoy life, but we ought to enjoy it because of who Christ is and what he's blessed us with, not because of what our flesh wants. Saul, in his selfishness and disobedience, made a selfish decision that affected David for many years to come. You think, well, I thought this passage was about David. Understand this, sometimes our distresses come from others' choices. That doesn't mean we have a right to blame them. That doesn't mean we have a right to say, well, oh, I'm falling in sin or I'm struggling because it's their fault. Listen, you have to stand before God one day if you're saved, and you're going to have to give an account for the decisions you made in this life. Can I tell you this? You better make the right decisions because it does affect others. The second thing I want you to see this morning, first of all, past disobedience leads to future burdens. Secondly, I want you to see this. There's only one source that can give you peace. There's only one source that can give you peace. Look what it says again, into verse number six, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. The world around us tells us there's therapies that you can have and there's, there's professionals that you can seek out help from and, and there's friends that can help you. Can I tell you this? There's only one place that you can find everlasting peace that provides the comfort that you need and that's through Jesus Christ. You say, well, listen, I've gone through life. I've been in this church several years. I have some heartache. Can I tell you this? God is still on the throne. David may have gone through heartache, and he may have been running for several years, but God has never left him. You ever wonder sometimes if the presence of God is in your life? I have to admit there's been times where I've said, God, am I where I'm supposed to be? And yet it's oftentimes not God that's left me. It's me that's turned my back on God. If you go back with me to chapter number 23, very quickly, I want to bring something to your attention that I found to be interesting in preparation and in study of this chapter. First Samuel chapter 23, just back a few chapters, David was often known for inquiring of the Lord. He oftentimes went and not just asked God in a flippant way, but, but had conversation with God. Isn't that a beautiful thought to be in a relationship so close to God that you can just have conversation and God responds? By the way, that's not an Old Old Testament or New Testament thing. That could be a present-day thing. If our walk with God is what it's supposed to be, we can have that kind of sweet communion. But in chapter number 21, it says this, verse number 2, David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and smite these Philistines? And the Lord said unto David, Go and smite the Philistines and save Keilah. David says, God, what direction should I go? God, which should I, what decision should I make next? God, am I headed the way you want me to go? Verse number four, then David inquired of the Lord yet again. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into thine hand. And if you study the previous chapters, you find often David either encouraging himself in the Lord or asking God, what's the next step? God, where, where should I go next? God, what should be my next move? David was always mindful of what God's will for his life was. But as I studied the chapter, I found something interesting. Go down with me to verse number, number 10. David then said, David, O Lord God of Israel, thy servant hath certainly heard that Saul seeketh to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me up into his hand? Will Saul come down as thy servant hath heard? O Lord God of Israel, I beseech thee, tell thy servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then said David, verse 12, Will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver thee up. And you think, well, I didn't catch anything there. And it may be something small, but for where I was at in my life as I studied this, this was a powerful thought to me. In verses 2 and 4, David is asking God for his direction. In verses 11 and 12, David is asking about his own personal direction. Selfishness. God, do you want me to go here? Yes, go. God, do you want me to go this direction? Yes, go. A few verses later, God, I'm scared. God, God, are they gonna are they gonna hurt me? God, are they gonna are they gonna bring oppression to me? And you think, well, that may be that may be splitting hairs. That may be really criticizing David's prayer here. Can I tell you this? From this point forward until chapter 30, David is not known for going to God. And asking for direction. I think as David's prayer begins to change from seeking God's direction and God's will to being selfish, I think David loses sight of his relationship with God. And, and I look at this and I thought, what's the, that's an interesting thought. What's the point of this? And then the Holy Spirit began to prick my heart because don't we act selfishly sometimes? Don't we go to God and say, God, I, I, sometimes I want your will for my life. I want to know what you want for me. I remember as a 12-year-old boy, when I accepted Christ as my Savior, the will of God was clear. It was salvation. As a 12-year-old boy, June 24th, 1991, 1130 at night, 133 Hatler Street, Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. It was a two-story green duplex with white trim. I was wearing white sweats and a Blue Ocean Pacific T-shirt with two holes in the left shoulder. Yes, I was wearing white sweats. That's the era it was, okay? They're more like a pre-slacks. I didn't let go of my childhood clothes. I remember laying in bed, sweating, and realizing that if I closed my eyes, I would wake up in a place called hell, not because I had done something bad, but because I was a sinner. As all of us are born sinners, the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, there is none righteous, no, not one. The best thing you can do, the Bible calls our righteousness, is as filthy rags. I remember laying there as a 12-year-old boy saying, God, help me. I went downstairs and woke up my dad, which is typically not a safe thing to do. Woke up my dad, and I said, Dad, I need to be saved. He says, you've been saved three times before. You ever grow up in a home like that where you got saved several times just so I could jump in the baptistry pool? It was the thing to do as a kid. I said, Dad, this is for real. We went out to the living room, and we knelt down there on on the love seat there, and he said, do you want me to read the Bible to you? I said, No. I was a sword drill champion for a church in fourth grade. I knew scripture. I just needed to accept scripture. And that night on that street, I bowed my head and said, basically as the publican said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, I need you as my personal savior. And that night, the grace of God that has saved those of you in here that are saved, and if you're not saved in here today, can I tell you this? You can get the same grace of God today. Today could be your day of salvation. God gave me that grace, and I accepted Christ as my Savior, and I've been saved since I was 12 years old. At that point, I'm like, great, what do I do now? I'm 12, and so I figured out I better obey my parents, better do good in school, better read my Bible. At the age of 14, I surrendered to missions. We were at a missions conference, and the missionary there, Bob Hayes, uh, had prayed, he went home to be with the Lord in 1998. Him and his um, daughter and son were killed in a car wreck in Africa, and I remember at the end of the missions conference, he was down front, and he put his shoes on the, on the altar there on the steps and said, who's going to fill those shoes? Because I won't be here forever. And God had been working on my heart all week. And at the age of 14, I knew the will of God for my life was to surrender to ministry. And I went forward and gave myself that night to missions. My wife and I have been serving in missions since we got out of our master's program down in Pensacola. Love and life. The will of God, we we, we ask for God's direction. We want to know what it is. God, now that I'm a missionary, where do I go? I thought I was supposed to go to Kenya. My name's Ken. As a 14-year-old boy, that's that's the thinking. It makes sense. Come to find out, it wasn't Kenya. Then it was Austria. My mom was born and raised in Austria. I felt burdened for the Austrian people when we began to work towards going to Austria. But the older we got, the more God began to work in our hearts And all we ever wanted to do was follow God's will. I love to say and stand here and tell you that every day of my life, I do the same thing. But the reality is I'm flesh. As Scott Pauly, a friend, says, I'm nothing more than a dark-hearted, hell-deserving sinner. And so are you. I want to encourage you this morning. We're all born deserving of hell. And sometimes the flesh that we're clothed in gets the victory and sometimes my prayers go from God give me your will give me your direction to God I'm emotional God the enemy's too much God what am I gonna do and what ends up happening at that point is we stop encouraging ourselves in the Lord sometimes our distresses are our own fault sometimes the burdens that we carry are because of our leaving the walk with God. Understand this, God has promised never to leave us or forsake us. He's not going to turn his back on us, and that's a wonderful truth, but sometimes we turn our backs on him. I believe over the next several chapters, as David has done pray this prayer, he said, God, give me your will, but then he said, God, I'm scared. God, it's my life in danger. Finally, though, in chapter number 30, he finds the peace that he's been missing. You see, he tried to find it in the enemies, of the, uh, in the Philistines. He tried to find it in the comfort of the world. The Philistine uh, people are a picture of the world. Understand this, the world cannot provide us peace. You look around, you read the news. Boy, the news is depressing, isn't it? And rarely are there any good reports. Uh, the news is depressing. Social media is depressing. And I want to encourage you with this thought. Don't get your peace from social media. It's amazing how perfect everybody is on Facebook. You know, we ever, never ever post when they're having uh, well, they do post when they're having a bad day because they complain about it sometimes, but, but uh, you ever notice that people just always talk about everything is so awesome. But the reality is life's not always awesome. We get distressed, we get burdens, but can I tell you this? There is great comfort and peace in Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter four talks about the peace that passes all understanding. It doesn't even make sense. I remember when, I shared this with the the teens before, I remember when our, our youngest child was born, he was above average in growth, and about five months, six months, he began to have seizures. And we have our reasons as to why we think this began to happen, but regardless of why, we understand he began to have seizures. He was diagnosed with epilepsy at a very young age. The development he had was suddenly done away with. We thought we had gotten proper treatment for them. They gave him a steroid for three weeks, and the steroid, at the end, the doctor said, the seizures seem to be slowing down. Let's just give it a, a few months and see how it does. We noticed that he still wasn't behaving as he should and acting properly. So while we were in Cincinnati from El Paso, we, we said, let's just get a second opinion. Went to a doctor there in Cincinnati Children's Hospital, and she asked us the 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 history, got the reports, and was amazed that for five months he was having constant seizures and was not getting treated for them. She said, I want to give him a very intense treatment. And for 30 days, we gave him an a, a, a extreme steroid that stopped the seizures, praise the Lord. The problem is those untreated seizures and the epilepsy, they finally diagnosed it with nonverbal autism, moderate to severe. A child that was once above average in growth and development and and all those things is now nonverbal autistic. Can I tell you this? My wife and I, when we dreamed of building a family, we never dreamed we'd have a special needs child. Nobody does. And there have been moments and times in our last few years, four before November, where we have just been burdened and distressed and startled and scared. But can I tell you this? Point number two. Go to the play, The only place you can get real peace. David encouraged himself in the Lord. I tell you this, there's going to be times in your life where you're lonely. Encourage yourself in the Lord. There's going to be times when you're going to deal with difficulty and heartache and circumstances are going to come. Can I tell you this? Encourage yourself in the Lord. There's going to be times when people are going to use you and abuse you and, and mock you and leave you all out there by yourself with no help. Encourage yourself in the Lord. And how can you do that? Can I tell you this this morning? This brings great comfort. This brings great peace because this is the very word of God. This is, this is not just uh, God saying, "Here, here's a good book for reading. No, this is a book that's alive and is active and is refreshing us day by day if we'll find ourselves in the word of God. I guarantee you David did. David says, if you look with me, chapter 30, in verse number uh, seven, David said to Abiathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. Uh, We understand that David knew where to go to get that comfort. He went to the priest. He went to the man of God and said, hey, let's get together. Let's go inquire of the Lord together. And in verse number eight, David inquired at the Lord. Listen, if you inquired of the Lord before, go back to inquiring of the Lord. You know, sometimes, like my dad, when I was growing up, my dad made a comment one time. I had come to him. We had a youth activity, and I I needed five bucks. Remember when youth activities were five bucks? Uh, Several decades ago. And uh, I went to my dad asked for five bucks, and he wasn't mean with it or anything. He just kind of with a smile said, you know, it seems like the only time you come talk to me is when you need five dollars. That hurt. It was true. (laughs) That's why It hurt. And I begin to realize, he's kind of got a point. I don't ask my dad to go throw the ball with me. I don't ask my dad to go hang out. I ask my dad for $5. And spiritually, I think sometimes God looks down and says, you know, the only time you come to me is when you need $5. Can I tell you this? God is always there. But sometimes it would be good just to go back to God and say, God, I need some wisdom and direction from you. But first, can I tell you this? God, I love you. God, I want to praise your name for who you are. The songs this morning, beautiful songs, talk about lifting up the Savior. Bless his holy name. He's a marvelous God. How great is our God? But sometimes we only go to God when we need something, and then when he doesn't give it to us in our time, we blame him for it. That makes no sense to me. That leads me to my third thing this morning, and we'll be done. When you're in your times of distress, understand it could be from past disobedience, and it leads to future burden. Number two, go to the only place that you can get real peace. And number three, always give God glory. You know what I found to be true in my life when I have times of heartache or frustration? If I just stop and praise God for a while, things look pretty good. Understand this this morning. All of us with this simple truth should understand and rejoice in this. We should all be in hell today. Stop and think about that. We should be burning in a place called hell. It wasn't prepared for us, but because of sin, as Romans chapter 5 says, by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. We deserve the wages of sin that are death. But I'm thankful for that conjunction, but. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We can have true comfort and peace because God is real and deserves all glory. You think, well, I worship God. On Sunday morning, I come and sing praises and all that stuff. Hey, how about Monday through Friday? You ever have coworkers that just drive you up the wall? You ever have things that come up, like I said, those, those Mondays that happen every day? You don't just wake up on the wrong side of the bed. You just wake up. I mean, you can't hit snooze enough. Those type of days, you ever had them? I'm the only one, praise the Lord, okay. Listen, we all have them. Just stop and count your blessings. The old hymn says, count your many blessings, name them one by one. Just stop and praise God for a while. Number one, stop and think about this. He became sin for us who knew no sin. God didn't know sin at all, but he took on our sin on his body, had the Father above reject him, turn his back on him, and he died on a cross for your sins and for mine. He became sin for us so we could become righteousness in him. That should give us eternity to praise. Count your blessings. Look what I oh, got this point from. Uh, go with me to chapter number 21. They, uh, David and his army goes and kills the Amalekites, wipes them out, and, and we'll be done very briefly here. Verse 21, David came to the 200 men. They left a part of the army back, a third of them. They were too tired. They were exhausted, uh, and 400 men went with David. They, they came back to the 200 men, which were so faint that they could not follow David whom they had made also to abide at the brook Besor. And they went forth to meet David and to meet the people that were with him. And when David came near to the people, he saluted them. Then answered all the wicked men and men of Belial, Belial being Satan. David had mighty men who were being used of Satan at this point. Of those that went with David and said, because they went not with us, we will not give them aught of the spoil that we have recovered Hit the picture here, David and 400 men go go fight the Amalekites, beat them, defeat them, take the spoil, take their wives, take their children all back. 400 men say, hey, listen, we did that. These 200 that stayed back here, they don't get anything. They don't deserve it. But drop to verse number 23. Then said David, ye shall not do so, my brethren, with that which the Lord hath given us. You see, David's mighty men, some of them are saying, hey, listen, we did this. We deserve this. David says, no, this was God. Can I tell you this? John chapter 9, the man born blind, he was, Christ was asked, why was this man born blind? And God said, so that the works of God would be made manifest. Can I tell you this? When you find yourself greatly distressed, I promise you, if you'll stop and just give God glory, you'll find what his will for your life is you'll find that peace that only he can bring. And if it's something revealed to you that was done from your past decisions or your past disobedience, God will give you a chance to make it right because God loves you. God wouldn't send his son to die on the cross for our sins and then cast us out for nothing. God would love us. He loves us every day. If you're here today, he loves you enough to give you a new day of life. And that means it's a day not for you to live for yourself, but for you to live for his glory. Let me ask you this morning, are you in distress? You think, well, I'm not in distress at all. Things are great. Can I tell you this? The Christian life, if you're living for God, you're going to suffer distresses. It's going to come and it's going to be hard at times because Satan hates what Monclova Baptist Church, Monclova Road Baptist Church is doing. Satan hates what you as as Christians are desiring to grow in the Lord with. Satan hates it, and he wants to attack it. But when those times come, can I promise you this? If you'll find yourself encouraging yourself in the Lord, God will be revealed in a great way in your life. So how about it? You can either stay in the distresses, or you can encourage yourself in God.